right. Well, if you are new to following Jesus, hey, welcome. Good to see you. You know, last weekend, Friday and Sunday, we saw 25 under 25 people give their hearts to Christ. That's awesome. So we celebrate that. So if you're new to following Jesus, we're now in the book of John, and the book of John is the most recommended, if you've just given your life to Christ, it's the most recommended first read. You know, it's been said that it's safe enough for a child to paddle through and deep enough for an elephant to swim in, so I'm not saying if you follow Jesus for a long time, you're an elephant, but if the, the, hoof, the shoe fits, wear it. Um, <laughs> Tom Wright says this, that John wants us to see the, his book as the story of God and the world, not just the story of one character in one place at a time. In Genesis chapter 1, the climax is the creation of humans in God's image. In John chapter 1, the climax is the arrival of a human being, the Word who became flesh. This is the book of John. Watch this transition. Only a professional could do this. And so whether you paddle or swim, let's dive into John chapter 4. Did you feel that? Professional, professional speaker at work here. So let's dive into John chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, okay? He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to the town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field, this is really interesting, watch this, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Just underline that if you have a Bible. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, so it was about noon. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. (laughs) If you know the story in John chapter 4, poor Jesus doesn't actually ever get a drink. But he says to her, give me a drink. So Samaria, the sixth hour, a woman in a question. This week I was meeting with somebody who was trying to decipher and discern in their own heart and life where God was at work. And in the span of 45, 55 minutes together, they arrived at a point of clarity and they saw where God was at work. And here was the amazing thing, is they found God at work in a place that they didn't actually first believe God would ever be. They found God at work doing something in the midst of their life and in the midst of their story that they initially couldn't see whatsoever. And God actually met them in a half-truth, something that they believed that is sort of true, but is not fully true. And so this is going to happen in John chapter 4. In the story that we're reading, here's the most important question. For you, like the person I met with or the person in John 4, this woman at the well, here's the question. Where, right now, what is Jesus asking of you? Right now, what is Jesus asking of you? He meets a woman at a well and he says, give me a drink. He asks something of her. What is God asking of you? What is really, really interesting, at least from my perspective, is when we ask a question as pointed and as simple and straightforward as, what is Jesus asking of you? Oftentimes we are crystal clear on what maybe a relationship might be asking of us, what work is demanding from us, what our schedules require of us, what our families need from us. So in other words, we're really clear on a lot of things that are being asked of us, but the moment we drive a question such as, what is Jesus asking of you? 
all of a sudden, where it is so clear in many other areas of our lives, it instantly becomes fuzzy. And here's a clue. Jesus uses natural things to unlock spiritual realities. What is God asking of you? What is Jesus asking of you? Jesus only ever asks something from you to give you something greater of himself. But in order for you to receive the greater of himself, you need to give what it is that he's asking of you. It is an exchange of trust. It's an exchange of trust. This is the story. This was the story that I had with an individual this week where they gave God the lie, the half-truth that they believed, and then they settled into the whole truth of what God and where God was at work. They were at a well with a history. This is a well that it says right in the Scripture that it's near a field that Jacob, Israel, gave to his son Joseph. Isn't it amazing? If you backtrack to the history of the geographical location of this well, it is a place where Jacob gives his son Joseph this well. That's what the Scriptures teach. Now fast forward to the time of Jesus, and this exact place is now a place where Jewish and Samaritan do not intersect. Where God was once at work, God has been removed. And where God has been removed, it becomes filled with us. Yeah? Becomes filled with our isms, our things, our issues. And so this is an actually layered story. In the very place where God is at work in John chapter 4, Jewish and Samaritan don't mix. Samaritan and this woman don't mix. Someone who wishes to interact with others would never draw water at the hottest point of the day at noon. And so in the story, and now you have a rabbi, and a rabbi who is Jewish, who is male, does not mix with a Samaritan who's a woman at a well. And so Jesus is cutting through every, like, layer upon layer upon layer. If you keep reading in John chapter 4, he cuts through so many layers that even when the disciples just see where he is and who he's talking to, they're freaked out. They're freaked right out. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's doing everything that John says in John chapter 1, that this light that has come into the world, two things. Darkness will not overcome this light. And secondly, this light is for everyone. And we have a foreshadow to it, sent first to the house of Israel, then to everyone where we as Gentiles are grafted in to their tree. So Jesus is saying something really, really interesting or doing something quite interesting. Jesus cuts through all of our barriers and he just asks her for a drink of water. Now, I want you to think of the story for a moment. Like, what if she just simply scooped down into the well and went like, here you go? Why didn't she do that? This is a guy who's like sitting there. He's tired from a journey. He's sitting by the well. Could she have been thinking like, well, get yourself a drink? Early feminism, right? Could she have been thinking like, there's the well. Get at it. Or... Does she not even entertain it because every cultural ism would tell her don't do it? He's not to be trusted. There's something behind what it is that he's doing. We haven't even got to her personal story yet and how she has been in relationships with a lot of men. So she has maybe inherent distrust. Lots of layers in this story. 
See, we tend to keep Jesus to the spiritual aspects of our lives, but I want you to know, and what John clarifies right in the beginning of John chapter 4, is that Jesus actually will cut through everywhere that you want to limit Him. That Jesus actually isn't just about your spiritual life, He's about the whole of your life. Because to give you abundant life is not just for Him to touch your spiritual life, it's to touch the whole of your life. And so sometimes, here's one of your challenges and one of the clues. Some of you have confined Jesus to a place that He will not stay put. And so you expect God only to be at work over here where God may be at work here. This is part of what we see in the story. Sometimes we need clarification about what Jesus asks of us because we've regulated him to a boundary that he will not maintain. And sometimes Jesus is at work where you'd never expect or be looking for him. Jesus may show up at your workplace. Jesus may show up at your university campus in a class that you're half paying attention to. Jesus has shown up to alcoholics in bars before they hit rock bottom. At the last place they expected to find Jesus, Jesus was there. Jesus has shown up to prisoners where everybody has abandoned them because of what it is that they've done. And in some instances, from our perspective, rightfully so, but the God who promises not to leave or forsake you is the same God who doesn't leave or forsake them and they find Jesus. God shows up to rich people on Bay Street or Wall Street where we would say, Jesus, you have no reason to be there. Jesus shows up in mosques. Jesus shows up in synagogues. Even sometimes Jesus shows up in his church. We don't often like when he does though. We'd rather talk about you than meet you. Because when we meet him, he asks us something. He asks something of his church. Okay, I'm going to keep going. At noon, Jesus is in Samaria at a well, speaking to a woman, asking something of her. And he's asking her, what's he asking? Give me a drink. Give me a drink. What is Jesus asking of you? He's asking me to worship him. Yeah, great. How specifically? He's asking me to follow him. Yes. How specifically? Uh, there's nothing wrong with the generalized answer, but, but I'm just saying that there is a deeper place of intimacy where Jesus is asking something specific of us oftentimes, and this is this story. At Strong Conference, you're going to hear the men who come, uh, you're going to hear four stronger stories, four stories of men who Jesus asked something really specific of them. And one of them, one of them is 13 years old. And in there, it's it's hard to get 13-year-old boys to talk, but in their 72-second story, you know what God asks them at 13 years of old, years of age? Take your faith seriously. 13. 13. And this 13-year-old goes, this is what it looks like. I can't wait for you to see it. Ladies, sorry, you're going to miss out. Your fault. <laughs> right? 
See that, Tim, that's just been building up for years with Heart Conference, and then we just bango. See that? We did that, Tim? See how we did that? Don't clap that. Don't clap that. <laughs> My gosh. Another reason it can be hard to hear Jesus is because he speaks heaven on earth, and we speak earth about earth. He speaks a different language than we're fluent in. He says, give me a drink. And how many of you know, he's thirsty, but he ain't talking just about the water from the well. He's talking on two different levels. Give me a drink. And he's drawing something out while not drawing anything from the well. He's actually going to a different place in her to draw something out. He speaks the language of heaven, and we often just speak earth on earth. It's why we take the things that Jesus asks of us specifically, and sometimes we make them for other people, and that's not helpful. Okay, some of us, here's what we need to know. There are providential things that God has spoken to all of us that he doesn't have to speak personally to you. Like if he says to all of us, he's the way, you're not special. You don't get out of that. If he says to all of us to forgive, you don't have to wrestle through, do I forgive? Just how do I forgive? Okay? So there are providential things that, God, I need you to give me a personal word. No, you don't. Just open up his word and you'll find the word to your life. It's providential. It's for everyone. But sometimes there is specificity in our lives that is unique from other people's lives. And this is one of these instances. Jesus is speaking heaven on earth, and she's just thinking earth on earth, and so this is an issue. In response, the woman at the well, here's what she does when Jesus says to her again, just give me a drink. Yeah. She responds, and she basically gives Jesus all the reasons why she won't give him a drink now. How many of you have ever done that? Can I see your hands, please? Jesus asks something of you, and you give him every reason why you can't. Okay, my both hands, both feet, if I could lift them, they'd be in the air. Jesus says, I want you to give me this. How many of you, when, when, when the God begins to work on your attitude, turn the person beside you and say, I don't have one. <laughs> when God begins to work on your attitude, it's a hard thing to give. Maybe just me. So Jesus says to the woman, how can you begin to discover where God is at work specifically in your life? The number one symptom is when Jesus asks something specific of you, you will give him every reason why no. You will actually respond first with disobedience, with resistance. Why? Because you know it will cost you something. Yes? It's like, mm. Mm, 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 mm. Talk to her about that. No, I'm going to talk to you about that. In response to the woman at the well, again, she gives all the reasons why she won't give him a drink. Now, Jesus is fluent in speaking the language of heaven on earth and says to her this, watch this. Jesus answered her. Aren't you glad that Jesus answers us? That we have a God who hears and answers prayer. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, watch what he says. Watch, watch, watch. 
you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. When God is asking something of you, it is not for God's benefit, it's for yours. Say it again. When God is asking something specific of you, it's not for God's benefit, it's for yours. What does Jesus just say to her? Not if you knew how thirsty I really was. Read the story. He never gets a drink. Or it's not recorded that he does. <laughs> Maybe the disciples bring him back something from 7-Eleven and he's all good. I don't know. But he says, if you knew the gift of God, what, a, what language is this? If you knew the gift of God, what is a gift? If you knew what God wanted to give you, you would have no issue giving to God if you can trust who God is. What is the one thing she can't trust? She cannot trust who men are. And here she is. She can't trust men. And where does Jesus go? He goes to this place. Many in our culture today love when Jesus cuts across culture. They just don't love when he cuts across their heart. In other words, many people in culture today love to use the scriptures that smack another side, whatever side that happens to be. They just don't like it when the same Jesus cuts across their heart and speaks to their own heart and life. If you think God will play sides, I just want you to know that, that God will offend all of us by how he ministers. I'm not saying there isn't right. I'm not saying there isn't wrong. Absolutely not. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, where, where, where the heck did living water come from? I thought we were just talking about H2O from a well. All of a sudden, Jesus begins to transition the conversation. She is with Jesus. Pause right? She's at a well with Jesus, and everyone says, yeah, it's not, not really hard to figure that one out. So she's at a well with Jesus, but she's not yet where Jesus wants to meet her. He's leading her somewhere. So we're all in church, which is supposed to be us meeting with Jesus, but then there's a deeper place of meeting with Jesus where he's beginning to lead you where it is that he wants to meet you. And that can happen in worship. That can happen even in announcements. As Jackie shared, some of you came in with discouragement. What is that word of affirmation? Yeah, you're at a place where we meet with the Lord, but now the Lord wants to meet with you at a specific place. It's different. So she is with Jesus, but she's not yet where Jesus wishes to meet her. She's stuck. And the question is, where is she stuck? Well, this word living water is actually really important because it actually references back to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, this is what it says. It's not going to come on the screen because I just added it about 18 minutes ago. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, which is always the first thing we do. We forsake the Lord. And then it says, this is how God describes himself. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. And then it says that they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here Jesus is, and all he is doing is he's cutting across humanity's broken cisterns. 
He is Jewish in Samaria, and he's going to cut across that broken cistern. He is a man who's a rabbi who's going to speak to this woman with integrity, nothing ill toward other than to minister. He is going to bring redemption and healing, and he's going to cut through that. He's going to cut through, cut through, cut through, cut through every broken cistern that cannot hold water. That those of you who have ears to hear, hear that Jesus will speak to you about broken things in your life that cannot contain the living water that he wants to pour in, that they have to be healed, they have to be mended, they have to be whole. And sometimes that is us exchanging our woundedness, exchanging our things from the past, exchanging the true things that have happened to us for a greater truth, which is Jehovah Rapha, heal your body but he also heals our heart, our mind, and he heals our cisterns so that they contain what it is that he wants to pour in. Some of you, God is at work trying to mend something. He's trying to mend something. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus says, he would have given you living water If you knew means, if you knew you would have asked and he would have given you, another way to say this is if you had insight that God was in your midst, if you could perceive who is standing right here, if you could trust that what I'm asking of you is not for my benefit, it's for yours. If you could trust me. There is no risk if you know the risk will be rewarded. There is no risk if you know the risk will be rewarded. Like one time I took a risk. I asked a girl out on a chairlift and she said no. (laughs) Well, my risk wasn't rewarded and then I had a dumb chairlift ride like sitting over on the other side as far as I could like, like like a dork contemplating how do I jump off, turn the person beside you and say, don't ever ask someone out on a place you can't get out of. Like, I know, I was young and I was dumb and never popped into my head she may say no. And then I learned that she, she, they might say no. I also saw a girl one time walking across a soccer field and my heart said, like, pitter-patter, let me at her. And... <laughs> I ran across that field, and you know what that girl said to me? Yes. Sitting right over there. And I was, wasn't pointing to Rhonda. That's another Jason. Like, like, how many of you have ever made an investment? Can I see your hands, please? That was risky. Had some, okay. If you knew this, <laughs> Lord, meet me in this. Okay, that's a different conversation for a different day. If you knew there was no risk, it's not a risky investment. It's just a sure thing. Yes? What is Jesus saying? If you knew who was right here, there's no risk. This is what he's saying. If you knew who was asking you for this, if you knew who was asking you to give, God, you're asking me to give this up. 
How do you give up? How do you say yes to Jesus? By looking inside of yourselves? Heavens, no, stop doing that. Look to who he is. Discover that he is faithful, that he's trustworthy, that he's good. Takes the risk out of it. How do I give not just my tithe, but above my tithe? How do I give forgiveness? How do I give by looking inside myself? Absolutely not by looking to the God who is faithful. It takes the risk. Well, does that mean it's always going to work out perfectly? Here's what I would say. No. And yes. Because on earth, it's contested space where there's a million different things like my will, your will, their will, deception. And where God is at work. It can be undone by us. But I promise you this, any time that you take a step and trust God, it is always yes and amen. Even in the no, He is with you, and that is good. You are learning to walk by faith and not by sight, and that is good. You are learning maybe whom to trust, and we are called to love everyone, not trust everyone. And sometimes that's a loving language of a boundary. Sometimes we're learning, okay, I got to love them with my whole heart, but not trust them with my whole bank account. Good lesson to learn. Good lesson. Trusting God means learning that he has something greater to give you when he asks for something from you. So I want to ask you again at this time, what is Jesus asking of you? Will you trust he has something greater to give than whatever it is that he's asking of you? Earlier, we discussed how, how Jesus, where there are barriers, even religious or societal ones, he will cross them. Jesus will go to places we would prefer he didn't go to in our lives. Remember, Jesus is trying to give something more significant, but to do so, she has to make room. And there is something precisely where the greater will be going. And it's John 4, 16 to 18. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Now he's in a place of woundedness. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband, what you say is true. She thinks he's still talking about water. And here's what I want you to know. Living water has already begun to flow. While you and I are in the place of deliberation, God isn't. While you and I are in the place of deciding, do we say yes, do we say no, do we obey, do we disobey, do we let God heal, or do we stay hardened? Like When we're in this place, working it out in our own hearts, grace and mercy is already flowing. Truth is already flowing. The antiseptic that we need to numb the area where God is going to be at work is already beginning to flow. God is always at work long before we know where he's at work. 
God is always at work long before we know where he is at work. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, which is very insightful, but it's also not fully true. He's not just a prophet, he's God. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus has cut through cultural things, and now he cuts right to the heart of things. When living water flows where God is at work, it is often first met with old, stuck, rehearsed strongholds, family dynamics, or religious arguments. Things like, well, all Christians are. I don't believe the Bible because Catholic Protestant. I used to go to church. When you hear all the objectionable language, here's all I want you to hear. I want you to hear it because it's important, but I also want you to hear something greater, that in all the objectionable language, God is already at work. But the hour is coming, and Jesus says, is now here when true worshipers, everyone say true worshipers. So there is false worship. We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, (laughs) she's talking to Jesus about Jesus. And Jesus is not content to just be talked about. There's a deeper place of intimacy that we've already said. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. When kings ask Jesus who he is, he is silent. But when a woman at a well says, who are you? Jesus fully declares who he is true worship. He reveals himself. False worship. Silent. Now my favorite part of the story. So the woman left her water jar. I told you, he never gets a drink. (laughs) And went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. One interaction with Jesus. Watch. And the very people that she sought to avoid now become her primary mission. She's at noon at a well, hoping not to run into anybody because of how they would treat her. She has an interaction with Jesus. She finds where God is at work, and it changes the entire purpose of her life. And where she once was cowering in fear of others, she she becomes an evangelist to point people to Jesus. Please hear me with both ears and your whole heart. Revelation says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the work of Jesus, and the word of our testimony. Yes? 
That's exactly what you see here. Here's what did the woman not do? She did not run into Samaria and try to heal and figure out every cultural issue first. Please hear me. She did not try to work out every political issue between Jewish and Samaritan, male and female. She simply met Jesus, and in the power of her testimony in meeting Jesus, said to people, come meet the one who told me everything there is about me. Some of us are intimidated to share our faith because we feel like we have to solve every societal problem. They got to get solved, but you are responsible to tell your testimony. Where is God at work transforming your life? In Christ, tell that story again and again and again and again to anyone who will listen. You don't have to have the answer to figure out every societal problem. But you do have to be faithful to tell the story. So let's end here. The earthly purpose of her going to the well at noon is no longer what drives her life. The earthly people that she avoids becomes now the ones that she rushes to invite them to meet Jesus. And so at this time, again, lastly, what is Jesus asking of you? For this woman, this Samaritan woman, it was just, give me a drink. Specifically, if we and I were to spend time together, that's all I would want to know. That's all I would want to help you discover. Where is God at work in your story? Can you trust that God has something greater to give you than whatever it is he's asking from you? For the woman, God's greater changes her purpose. And it changes her relationships with others. Jesus, Jesus often uses something earthy to bring us something heavenly. And yeah, he's gonna cross societal, religious, and personal boundaries to give us living instead of what we're all drinking right now, which is stagnant water. Jesus wants to give us that as life and that flows. So pause. Put your hands in front of you like this, yet here or at home. I want you to pray this prayer and it's dangerous. It is dangerous. Say, dear Jesus, in the next seven days, show me where you're at work in my life. And when he does and how he does, by faith, trust him enough to say yes. Welcome to Heartstrong. We're going to read John 2 to 11 this week. Keep practicing Sabbath. And if you need prayer for anything today, oh, would it be our honor to pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that in the mess that we make of the world, you are at work. Where things that are not, you are at work, making them the things that should be. And so together we pray for peace in the Middle East, Pray for peace in Ukraine. Peace where it is culture against culture, tribe against tribe, nation against nation, 
family against family. Peace. Shalom. God, we thank you that you are the God of the individual moment and you are the God of the whole world. And we look to you in these times. In your name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. If you have need of anything today, please come to the front. Why? It's an altar and we hope it changes you.